What's up guys, Coach Jack here. Really excited to bring you Keith Williams, Coach Dub, one of the top wide receiver coaches in the country on the Operation Grit Box podcast today. Coach Williams, Northern California guy, really juiced to have on. He is a great coach in terms of teaching the skills and what's needed on the field as a wide receiver, but just in researching and learning about what his athletes say about him. He's so huge in terms of developing them as men and building relationships. And we touch on kind of all of this on this episode. And I hope you enjoy it. I sure did. I learned a ton from the man, and I know you will as well. Without further ado, Keith Williams, Coach Dove. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. So just a little bit of context. Um, I've been in the performance industry going on 12 years, and I've started this podcast kind of for two different reasons. One, I wanted to start sharing my journey mission with, uh, with other people out there just because it's been so rewarding for me in terms of all the stuff that I've been learning about and the stuff that I'm experiencing. And two... A uh, kind of selfish reason is I, I volunteer as the director of football performance for a high school in Deep East Oakland for the football team there, and where uh, in Oakland, California. And I know you spend a lot of time in San Jose. You you're in Oakland right now. Yes, sir. We out of we're automatically best friends. I'm from Northern Cali. I, well, I know you have some background in uh, San Jose. You're at San Jose State. Yeah, but I'm from Stockton. I was I was raised in Stockton. Ah, okay. That's awesome. Yeah. So basically, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to talk to as many smart people as uh, like you as I can, and just listen, and then uh, take what I what I learned from you and apply it with uh, Castlemont High School in East Oakland, and uh, try and help those student yeah, athletes Cal- out there. Castlemont, bro, bro, I, I'm. I'm from there. I mean, I'm I'm from Northern Cal. I mean, I'm a Northern Cal guy. I'm from Stockton, man. I'm I've been the I've, I've coached against Castlemont when I was a when I coached high school. I love it. So and right I know any, just any, any, go ahead. anything anything you anything you say, I'll know. I mean, I I mean anything you say uh, about Oakland, I'll know. Yeah, well, there's such there's such a heavy. Uh, connection between kind of Oakland and, and the Stockton area too, just because, you know, for going on decades now that the housing market just gets more and more expensive in the East Bay. So uh, people that are from right. Oakland go out to Stockton. No doubt about it. Plus, like I said, I, I lived in Stockton from 12 years old until, you know, and then I moved back out there. My mom still lives in Stockton. Um, but, I, but, but, you know, I lived in San Jose for a long time. I recruited, uh, when I, I recruited Northern, I recruited all of California, but I recruited Northern California for a long time for Fresno State and San Diego State. I mean, and, and uh, San Jose State and Nebraska for that matter. So I'm a California guy, bro. You know what I mean? I got shirts with Stockton on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I'm excited. <laughs> East Mount Mall, and they all, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an old school Northern Cali guy. Yeah, yeah. That's, man, that's a, 
That's half mile up the road from uh, from Castlemont, Eastmont. Yeah, when I when I coached that when I coached that Brookside Christian, we played. We used to play against Castle. We used to play against Castlemont. Um, and I, I I coached I coached against Zoe when Zoe was at McClymouth the first time. Okay. You know, like in '97, I'm talking about. And you were in San in San Jose. I was no, I was coaching high school at Brookside Christian High School in Stockton, and Zoe was at McClymonds, and and we played. We used to play Zoe. We played McClymonds. We would play. Uh, we played Castlemont. We played Clayton Valley. You know, back in those days. That's awesome. And then Zoe just got hired on by San Jose State. Yeah, I've been knowing Zoe for many, 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 many years. Zoe's my guy. I know all those dudes over at San Jose State. Brennan, the quarterback coach, Ryan Gunderson, Zoe, O'Malley, the uh, special teams coach, Coach Fred. I know all those guys over there. And how do you feel about that that program? I feel um, they got the right guy. Brennan knows the deal. You know, um, Just like any place else, every every – to me, every university has a unique. If you can figure out the uniqueness and the unique way to get over the edge, whatever hump or whatever edge that is for that particular university at that, at that particular time, if that head coach can figure out that unique way to get over that edge for that particular school, then I feel like that's how you begin to move forward. And, and I think Brendan knows that. Now, once you figure it out, you got to put the plan in place, you know, to get that done. But I think guys make mistakes. At whatever school, whether it's a high, you know, whether it's a highly ranked school or a school that's still, you know, trying to trying to get there, I think guys make a mistake because they don't really they don't understand that each school has a unique angle that it that it probably should take, you know, to, to advance. And, and Brendan understands that at San Jose, I think he has to plan for it. And then you're you're halfway across the country, but in your opinion, your experience there, what, what do you think the unique value proposition is at San Jose State? Well, you know, like, like people already know who's kind of familiar with it. Uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, like they don't have a, they don't have a gigantic uh, budget. They haven't really won in a long time, uh, per se. Um, it's kind of a commuter school to some degree. So, you know, it, you know, it's in the middle of the bay. Mm. Uh, you got a lot going on out there. You got a lot going on out there. And then you got schools right up the road who you got to compete with, too, just in terms of the kids. So, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of moving parts that you, that, that you got to get in control of and get a plan for and against, you know, to be successful there. And it's a grind, you know, just to... Just to put it simple, it's, it's going to be a grind. You got to be, you got to embrace the grind, and know that it probably get harder before it gets easier. Well, I think Brennan knows that. And then, how would you rate kind of high school football in, in Northern California, and wh- where do you think it can improve? I think it's good. You know, uh, just like you know, just like any place else, it's it, it's good. You, you, just like at San Jose State, I think, in, I think at each high school, you got to have the right coaches because. There's, there's more, the, the one, the one, I, I get asked this a lot about, you know, the different generations of kids and, you know, these ones are different than those ones and, and, and whatnot. And I don't know if there's, a, if there's just like a big gigantic difference in the kid, but what they go through is different, which in 
the kid develops different because of what he's going through is so different. I don't know if I don't know if the human being is different, but what they're going through is different, which causes them to develop differently than prior generations. And so with all the distractions, you know, electronic distractions, uh, just being a lot of free time distractions, maybe economic distractions, with all the distractions at the high school level, uh, you need coaches that understand that and, and can lead the kid in a positive way as well as a football player. And, and, and the, good, the good high schools in, in Northern California, the good high schools have those kind of coaches in, play, in place. You know, just if, you, if, you, if, you, if you just brought up any, any, any school that's doing well out there, you'll, you'll probably, and if, you, and if you knew, if you were familiar with the school at all, any further than just the head coach, you probably would say, you know, they got some pretty good assistant coaches too and, and guys that you think care and, and are into it and, and are invested in, in the kids. You, you, you probably say that as well as you would maybe some good players, but you probably would, you probably would be more impressed with the coaches than you would the players maybe. Mm. And then I think a very under-talked-about piece of kind of the performance industry now is what you're talking about in terms of just the amount of distraction that athletes have but as you know on their phone and on whatnot just the amount of stuff we got get bombarded with every day and you say that some coaches are able to kind of to get kids to dial in and focus and stay away from that distraction is that is that something that you've worked on in the past or something that you've had to to monitor and coach to, to when you know when guys come train with you to get them all the way focused and 100 percent into what you're what you're teaching well yeah you got to do that regardless you know regardless if it's technology if it's a girl if it's a fit what uh, if it's maybe some adversity they're going through personally at home that that that's affecting you know the way they perform while they're with you you got to get control of that no matter what but also in terms of the social media, if you just want to be specific there, that's really the only new new part, new element in this whole generational conversation is that you got to kind of embrace the, the social network and, and, and the social media. You kind of got to embrace it. Opposed, opposed to just condemning it, I think, I think you got to embrace it and teach them how to regulate it. Because I don't, I don't, I don't think it's practical to think that you're just going to tell them ignore Instagram or ignore Twitter or not care what what's being said or not care about what they want to say. And I don't, I don't think that's practical or realistic. If, I think, if, I think if you probably get better results if you teach them how to monitor it and, and, and how to prioritize that instead of just, you know, maybe telling them not to, you know, tell them to ignore it. I completely agree. And I think if you're telling them to ignore it, then it's, you're telling them to squash a potential opportunity to build their brand or even if, you know, a college football player who doesn't make it in the NFL, he can still walk away with college with, you know, quarter million followers on Instagram and, you know, with the right skill set and the right knowledge, you're able to, to turn that into uh, different business opportunities to, to generate revenue. So uh, I completely agree. Um, Okay, Coach Stubbs, so tell me a little bit, what, what was life, uh, life like for you growing up in Stockton? It was hard. It was hard, bro. It was, it was hard because Stockton is, I love Stockton. I, I, you know, Stockton is the reason why I had 
mentality I have, it was hard, you know, it, and uh, it was, I, I was raised by a single mom. I'm, I'm, an, I'm adopted. I'm only child. I'm adopted. And I was raised by a single mom. And, and uh, you know, from 12, I was actually, we actually moved from San Diego uh, to Stockton when I was 12 when my mother and father divorced. And I probably saw my dad three times from 12 years old to 18 years old. And so it was me and my mom and that's it. And, and uh, so it was hard. You know, Stockton, is, Stockton was, is, it's a hard place. It's a hard place to, uh, to grow up in because, you know, there's not much visible motivation besides what you have maybe internally. So there's, not, there's not really much there that you see that you would aspire to be because just the simple fact that that's the, that's the nature of that city. And so uh, it was hard, but it, but it was, it, it developed me internally, uh, you know, even to this point. Yeah. Just from my experience being out there, it's uh, gritty is definitely the, the term that comes to mind. Just the, the heat, the dry air, and just the trucks, man, the amount of trucks that go through there, the air out there is just not, that's not good. When I think of Stockton, I think I think of gritty, and I think I think of uh, big trucks. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of that. It's a lot because it's a port. You know, they got they they got ports out there where a lot of shipping and uh, and, and merchandise comes goes in and out. Like you said, it's 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 a it's a short hop from the Bay Area, and it's also you know in the Valley on on your way to Fresno and and, and Sacramento. So it's kind of right in the middle. Of that, you know, of that pocket of Northern California, so it's a lot going in and out, a lot going to and fro, and then and then you have the people that live there. So uh, that's that's what you got pretty much every day, and 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 you just take it day by day. And then one of the football players I'm coaching at Castlemont, he's young guy, uh, dedicated, great athlete, and he's he was adopted, and he's having issues with uh, with life at home now and he's, he's, he's kind of trying to navigate this path of uh of dealing with that and, and coming to a new high school what what piece of advice would you give yourself when you were 15 if, if you saw your 15 years 15 year old version of yourself now what what piece of advice would, would you give him you know and like just like we talked about just like we talked about earlier it's just so hard because 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 the 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 gratification and the confirmation that kids want now comes directly from social media. See, when I was 15, the confirmation and the, the, your, the, your, the confirmation that you were looking for came from your friends or your coaches or your parents. You know, now, now it comes from people that you don't even know on social media. You, you know, you, you, you may have a nervous breakdown or think be on top of the world from compliments that you got from somebody that lives in New York. And so that part is hard. If, if my advice to him and anybody else would be to stay focused and always the best you can, whenever you feel yourself becoming non-focused, bring yourself back to what you're really trying to get done that day or ultimately that week or that season or that semester. As soon as you feel yourself veering off that path or as soon as you get reminded by that, by maybe uh, somebody in, in a leadership role in your life, a coach or a teacher, your parent who says, hey, you know, hey, you know, what are you doing? Get back on track. As soon as you get reminded of that, either from your, you know, you're able to remind yourself and notice it 
or you be or you're being reminded, get back on track and stay and stay in, in on that path and, and stay narrow minded and, and single focused as best you can. And then when did you when did you get into athletics? How old were you as a as a kid when you got into athletics? I got into organized athletics in high school, but you know, we I was very active. You know, that's back in the day when guys played outside. We, so, you know, I played football. I said, you know, the roughest. Like I tell people all the time I never played Pop Warner because the games at the parks were, were rougher than Pop Warner. <laughs> you know, Pop, you know you Pop, Pop Warner was your own age and your own weight. The games at the park, you playing against 20-year-old guys with, like, jeans on and no shirt. And I was, like, 13. <laughs> you know, I, I was I, – I, I played you – know, you know, you played outside all day long, basketball, football, whatever. So I, I didn't play – organized sports until I got into high school. And then what sports did you play in high school? I played basketball, football, and track. And how much of a connection do you see between football and track? I see a great connection just in terms of, especially a wideout play, it's exactly the same. The movement, uh, the, the, the speed, the movement, the, the, the phases of the vertical in terms of um, you know, your drive phase and the speed you, you accumulate at certain at certain distances. Uh, I, I see a direct correlation. I, I've, every place I've ever coached, I've always encouraged the guys to run track. I ran track at San Diego State. I ran track in college. Um, I, had a, I had a blast. It was, a, it was Track is awesome. And from what high school did you go to in Stockton? I went to Tokay. And then from Tokay? Exactly, in Lodi. Okay. So I, I, we, got from, we got bus from Stockton to Lodi. And what was the reason for that? But, well, at, the, at that time, it was 1986, and Lodi was a predominantly white uh, school district. Lodi Unified School District was a predominantly white school district, and so, you know, they wanted to, you know, they wanted to develop some diversity in that school district, and so they 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 extended Lodi Lodi School District's uh, the district school line. They they extended the line down to the very northern tip of Stockton. And I happen to live within that within that area, and so everybody, you know, every everybody on top of the line, instead of going to a school in Stockton, we all ended up going to Tokay. And then, how was the so, reception for you there? It was it was it was okay. I mean, I had a great time. Um, you know, we jumped on the we jumped on the school bus. We all took the cheese up to Lodi High. It was about eight miles away. Jumped on the cheese. Went there every day. I, I had a good time. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't bad. But that's that's the reason. And, and then at that point, that they have they have about they have two schools in Northern Stockton, North Stockton now. But at that point, there wasn't a school because at that point, you know, Stockton was was expanding, and so there was more the the, the northern the northern the, the neighborhood that that me and my mom eventually moved in in North Stockton that neighborhood was developing faster than the city was keeping up with. So there was no high school in that area. So it was going to, you would have had to go to high school probably farther away in Stockton than it would, than it would have took to get to Lodi. And then how did you play football and track at San Diego state? Yes. And what was, how did you end up there from, from Stockton Lodi? Well, like I said, I was adopted when I was two days old. And when I, I was born in Lima, Ohio. I was born in Lima, Ohio. I was adopted when I was two days old. My mother and father who adopted me, we moved to San Diego when I was two years old. So we lived in San Diego from 
when I was two to 12. And so when my mother and father divorced, my mother and I, we moved to Stockton where her family side of the family lived. I lived in Stockton from seventh grade. And when I graduated high school, I was being recruited by San Diego State. I was familiar with San Diego and the wideout coach at San Diego State at the time was Curtis Johnson. And I fell in love with him. And uh, so I really, I really enjoyed that part of it. And, and, and I really was impressed by him and wanted for him to, to, to take me on in the next page of, of my life and my development. And San Diego State was a great city. I already knew that. And then getting reunited with it on my recruiting trip uh, was, was awesome. And so I, I felt like that was the best place for me. And then what was your most memorable story or experience from your time with the Aztecs? We had a lot. We had a good team. I played with Marshall Falk, Darnay Scott, Patrick Gross, Will Blackwell, those guys. So we had a good team. But probably my most memorable, probably my most memorable uh, time was I, I was a good player, um, but I, I wasn't known for like the acrobatic catch. Uh, you know, I, I was one of those quick, quick, elusive players, and so sometimes guys like that. You know, they, they they don't stay in there long for the for a tough grab. You know, they get you know, I, I, I didn't I didn't I didn't come down with a lot of those a lot of those tough grabs because I was just a little too jittery at times. And so like I said, the wideout coach Curtis Johnson, he's he used to challenge me about about making those kind of plays pretty much my whole career. So my senior year, we're playing our rival, uh, BYU at the Murph and you know that that even even that week he challenged me to make to go out and if that if that type of play came up that you know when was I going when was I going to start making those plays? So I'll never forget. Uh, to make a long story short, I, I end up getting in on a deep post. Quarterback threw it up. When he threw it up, I saw the safety coming out of my peripheral. And I knew he was going to smack me. And just, I remember, I remember this is 1993. I remember telling myself almost maybe verbalizing it out loud that I'm not going to drop this ball no matter what. And I was thinking about what my wideout coach said to me, uh, that basically that whole week and, and even that day of the game. And I just looked at that ball and I, I knew that safety was coming. It was a deep post. He was coming from the other side of the field. And I knew we were going to, we were going to meet at some point. And I just remember telling myself, I'm not going to drop this ball. And I ended up catching it. He smacked me. But I ended up catching for a touchdown, and uh, you know I was proud. I was just proud of myself to finally step up and make make a make a play like that that I that I had routinely made. That's beautiful. And then when I'm coaching my receivers, in terms of the the self talk that I want them to want them to have when the ball's in the air, is I usually teach them to have one kind of power word to use, whether that's mine or or catch or attack or something like that. What, what, what would you say what, what's optimal for a wide receiver to be thinking when a ball's coming? I mean, optimally, right, he's not thinking at all, but if something is crossing his mind and take control of that, what, what is, what is a, a line or something that, that you would say that you would teach your receivers to, to say? Well, I'm, I'm teaching them to take a picture of the ball photo. I always say photo. So when, the ball, when any ball's in the air, they're thinking about they're thinking about taking a picture of it with their eyes anyway. So you can't take a picture of it. You can't take a picture of anything if your eyes are a camera. You can't take a picture of anything without totally focusing in on it. You, I mean, you shouldn't even know what the DB did to you 
when you're catching the ball. Like if, if I if I told you, hey man, you know he he grabs your jersey, he grabs your arm, he pushed you, he bumped into you. You almost shouldn't even. You almost should say you only remember that happening. You like you you should almost have to wait till the game film or see a picture or 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 like I said, somebody describe it to you for you to even realize that that little thing happened because you're so focused on the ball. So my guys are thinking about taking a picture of the ball with their eyes. Like I said, I would tell guys, pretend your eyes are a camera and, and, you, and you're taking a picture of the ball. So good. And then I had a former business acquaintance out here. and He, he was out in Dublin, uh, a sports performance facility who played uh, defensive line in the NFL for 10 years. And he said that Marshall Falk was able to go from a dead stop to a to as as fast as he could go faster than than anybody he ever competed against. What would would you agree or what 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 made him special? Yeah, I would agree with that. He what made him special was he obviously had tremendous God given talent, but he was always he was he was kind of like what we're saying, you know, and and and, and part of it comes from your struggle. Part of it comes from your own spirit that you're born with. Like I said, part of it comes from your personal struggle, your circumstance to which you're going through or what you had to go through to get to that particular moment. Some of it comes from your leadership. Obviously, some of it comes from opportunity. But he he was he was focused from the day he stepped on San Diego State's campus. He was ready to play. He was ready to improve. And he was ready to make an impact as soon as he got on the field. I mean, he was into it immediately. You know, but he, I mean, he was, he had all those things you say. He had all the Madden attributes. He was quick as gossip. He was fast as heck. He was, his lower half is extremely powerful. He had, he has uncanny vision. Um, so all that, all that stuff that he shows in his runs. But the, but the, the thing that I, I don't think people understand, or maybe well, I don't, not necessarily understand, but might have known that it, that it wasn't, I mean, he just wasn't getting out to the bed, walking around, goofing around, joking all the time, and then just, they threw him a ball, and he just starts running around. I mean, he was into it as a true freshman. You know, he, he walked around, focused, and, and he, he practiced hard as a true freshman, played great as a true freshman, and, you know, throughout his career. And then you've coached college for a long time, and ideally that's, that's what you want from all recruits that step on campus and, and, and join your program. What does that look like day to day in terms of what Falk was doing in terms of the focus and the intensity in terms of, of, of everything that he did and ideally what you want for your players that the step on, step on campus and ideally end a day what they want for them in terms of, you know, getting the most out out of their time in college and their potential as a football player. It's uncanny unique when you see it because like you said, it, it doesn't often happen. And when you see it on a great player, you just marvel at it as a coach. And we, we, we recognize it as, 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 as his teammates. We knew he was focused and it, and it made us focus. It made, I was, when he got there, I was a junior. He was a true freshman. And, and, uh, you know, he's one of my best friends to this day. He was in, he was in my wedding. Um, and so I, I was just, we all were just impressed by how focused and how committed he was to being a great player from day one. You know, the way he walked around, the way he, uh, you know, his persona, his approach to practice, even his approach in his personal life at, the, at that point. I mean, he wasn't really a, I mean, he wasn't, 
you know, he wasn't rigid and 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 you know, you know, uh, unsocial, but he was focused when it was time to get focused, and 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 he didn't let let any, anything distract him from that. And then I think there's just in my experience somewhat of a disconnect from young guys and saying they want to be great and actually what it takes to be great. So how do we get more young guys to understand that process? Is that, is that the responsibility of, of their coaches, coaches and their teachers and their mentors? Is that something that they got to come in for themselves or in, in your opinion, how does, how can we uh, decrease that disconnect between, okay, this is what I want, but this is what it actually takes. I think in my, like you said, in my opinion, I think it is the coaches because they're not going to do it on their own. They don't know any, and, you know, they, they just don't know that they, they don't know. They don't know what you, what you want them to do if, unless they know it already. I mean, they don't know what they don't know. Like, like we've heard that term before. They don't know what they don't, they don't know. So if you do know, then you should show them that whether, whether no matter how minute it may be, and it's gotta be consistent. You know, you can't expect them, in my opinion, you can't expect them to have it down until they have it down. Even if you even if you think they should have it down, if they don't, then they don't. So then now what are you gonna do about it? You know, just like anything else. I got kids. I I, I expect my daughter to understand certain things in the tenth grade. I, I expect my daughter to understand certain things and get certain things done. But if she doesn't get it done at the time that I expect her to get them done, do I stop? teaching her about getting that done or do I continue to teach her and just know that she, you know, she, she's not there yet. Maybe I got to teach it to her in a different way or at, 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 at worst, I still got to stay on her. Yeah. And I think that's just, I think one of the hardest things in terms of being a mentor, teach, teacher, coach, just any leadership position is everyone understands things in a different way and everything learns, everyone learns in a different way. So really putting in that effort to, how can I teach this in a different way? Uh, I, I completely agree, and I think it's uh, it's hard, man. <laughs> it is. It's the, the hard part is the hard part is, is staying consistent with it as a coach, in my opinion. That that, that part, because what you're teaching is not hard. You know, you're teaching you're teaching the right thing, whatever whatever that thing is. You're teaching the right thing. What's hard is staying consistent because it takes energy from you. It takes thought from you. It takes preparation by you to continue to to continue to teach and lead and guide and come up with creative approaches and creative techniques and avenues to teach the young man whatever you're trying to teach him, whether it's football, a life lesson, whatever the case may be. It takes so much thought by you to continue to do that if he's not if it's not registering at the time that you think it should or quickly. It takes a lot of thought and dedication by the coach. That, that, that part is hard. That's why you don't get that a lot from coaches. That's why there's only certain coaches that pull certain things out of certain players because certain guys, it's, it's just too hard for them to continue, you know, to, to, to continue to, to uh, seek out ways. To, at one point, at one point you, you, you blame the kid, and so you're just, you're just like, you know, the kid, ain't he don't get it. And, 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 and there are examples where he, you know, there are – as many stories as a kid getting it as they are a kid not getting it. And you just got to decide where that line is, where you say, well, this kid just don't get it. I got to move on. Mm. But I, I think, I, I think the problem is that a lot of coaches move on too soon. It's my opinion. I agree. And then 
you had that amazing catch, good finish to your career, and you spent a couple years playing professional ball, correct? Yeah, Redskins, CFL, World League. Um, I played every FL that they, that they were. <laughs> and then what was there anything memorable from there? Or what, when did you decide that you wanted to get into coaching? It was by coincidence, really. Um, I was finishing my – when I left when I left San Diego State, I only had two – I had two classes left to get my degree. So after I finally finished – after I finally decided that I, that I wasn't going to make a career playing professional football, I had to figure out a way to get my degree. So um, went back to San Diego State, moved in with my now wife, uh, and she was still in school there. And so – she was pregnant, and I was finishing up. She was finishing up. She had my, she had my son Keon, and when he was about eight months old, a good friend of mine named Booker Guyton from Stockton called me. I was in San Diego. He was in Stockton. He called me and said Brookside Christian High School is they don't have football. They only have a hundred students, fifty boys, fifty girls. They do not have football at all. They don't don't have a field. They don't have a locker room. They don't have a weight room. The gym is in the cafeteria. The gym and the cafeteria are the same building, um, but they want to start football. The president wants to start football from scratch, and I'm be the head coach. Will you come do this with me? And he said, you're going to teach math. I said, all right, I'll do it. And then how so many guys did you have come out that first year? We had 18 guys. We didn't play. We only played nine games. My ex was the soccer goalie. My Z was the shortstop in baseball uh we had you know it was crazy you know, but, but you know the weight room was it the weight room was inside a portable um we played all away games because we had no home field so every we played nine games and they were all away and coming in building but, a program like that from nothing what was the most important looking back what was the most important principle or just thing that you guys had to cross to to really get this program off the ground Pretty much, pretty much what we've been talking about is you just stay on it. You, you, you can't have an ego. You can't, you can't, you got to check the ego in at the door and you got to be part of the, you got to be part of the mission. You can't be above the mission. You can't be a person who's administ, administrate, administering the mission, but you're not part of that mission. You got to be part of the mission. It's almost like if, 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 if we're in a boat and it's sinking, I can't hop out and start telling, telling the people in the boat, you know, you guys, you know, get the water out, get the water out. We all got to get the water out. You know, I'm going to sit in there and get the water out with you. And so as a coach, I feel like that's what you have to be. So the kids know that you're in it for the same reason they're in it. And, and your happiness comes from their happiness, from them seeing them happy. And so, um, that's what we did. I mean, we, 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 we didn't have any egos, whatever, you know, whatever the problem was, we, as a staff, we dealt with it hands on. And didn't even look back. We didn't make any excuses. You know, we, we only have three footballs for the whole year. Okay, well then we're only going to use we're only going to use one today. You know, we're going to rotate them week to week. I mean, whatever you know, whatever whatever we had to do, we just did it. It was survival. It was like football on Survivor Island. But 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 it was coaching and it was developing kids and they were happy, which made you happy. And so you never looked at any differently. You could have told me I was coaching for the San Diego Chargers. It was the same thing to me. And then. In terms of your your professional path, when did you kind of 
narrow down and say, you know, I want to, I want to be a wide receivers coach. I want, I want, I want that to be my craft. I want that to be my specialty. Well, that's what I wanted to do in the first place. That's the only reason I started coaching. I didn't necessarily start coaching to be a college coach. I didn't, I didn't have any idea I'd be a college coach. I, I didn't know that I would, I didn't know I would ever leave high school, but I know, I knew that I, I love wide out play. I live, I live wide out as a lifestyle from 18 years old. Um, so I knew that I, that I would love to instill that lifestyle, those principles, that philosophy to other young men who believed it and strongly in it as I did. And so that was my motivation the whole time. What, what, and where, and where that would lead me, I didn't know, but that was the reason I was doing it was just for the wide out play at whatever level it was. Now, as you get, as you get going, opportunities come your way. And, and you, you know, you, you, you take advantage of them. And so, you know, obviously that led me to coaching the league ball and whatnot. But at the time, that, that wasn't really necessarily a goal of mine. And then what do you mean when you say being a wide receiver is a lifestyle? I was coached by Curtis Johnson, who um, is the wideout coach at the New Orleans Saints now. But he might go down as the best wideout coach ever. You know, he coached, Sam, he coached at, at Miami, he coached Santana Moss. Reggie Wayne, Andre Johnson, Roscoe Parrish, Norris Moss, Devin Hester. He coached all those guys at the same time, recruited them. He coached at the Saints when uh, they won the Super Bowl. He coached Marcus Colston, Lance Moore. Then he, then, he co- then he was the head coach of Tulane. I coached with him there, and then he went back to the Saints. So I was coached by him. And when we he, – he was ahead of his time in terms of the mental pressure he put on us to always – he focused on getting better, doing the right thing, coming to practice, ready to get better, into the games, ready to get better, focus on your craft, being a, a total wide out. And you can't just leave it. You can't leave that kind of mental dedication and, you know, and psychological pressure. You can't just leave that in the locker room and then go on the rest of your life and be another kind of, and be, and, and have a different mentality. You got to keep that same mentality. 24 hours a day. And so that became our lifestyle being a whiteout. And so, you know, that's why, that's why it's called whiteouts because, you know, we, I don't consider, I consider a wide receiver and a whiteout two different things. A wide receiver is, a, is just a, a person who get, who plays wide receiver, flanker, slot, or split in. They go play, they, they do good or they don't. And then they put their helmet in their locker and they, and they go about their business. A wideout is a true wideout who thinks about being a wideout and doing everything at the maximum that they can do it, no matter what, in, in all phases of their life. And so, and being critical on, on themselves when they do make a mistake and have no excuses. And, and, our, and Curtis Johnson instilled that into us intentionally and inadvertently to some degree uh, when I was a player in college. And, and so I knew that if I coach, that's the only way, that, that that's the only way that I could coach because it's a lifestyle. And so once you, once you establish a lifestyle and commit to a lifestyle, that's all you know. And so, like I said, that's the reason why I started wide out coaching and whatever, wherever it was going to lead me, it would be where it led me. Man, I love that. That's so powerful. Or just dedicating your life to your craft and the, the benefits of that. So when I was, when I reached out to you and I was doing uh, some background on you, uh, for some reason, uh, what started coming up to me, coming up in my mind, is I, I might be totally out base here, but when I think of like a wide receiver in some ways, I think I think of him as like an artist, 
just in terms of their, right. their ability of what they, you know, to be able to get their feet down on the sideline. And in the last 25 years, in terms of personality, in terms of being able to cultivate their personal brand to end the day, just to be able to get the ball more so they can make a, a, a bigger impact on the team. And then I started with that led me to Leonardo da Vinci. And I read a book on Leonardo da Vinci recently by Michael Gelb. I'll, I'll put it in the link below, but he talks, Michael Gelb, the author of this, he said that there were seven principles to da Vinci's genius. And, you know, I might be totally off base here in just terms of the way how my brain works, but what I'd love to do is I'd love to share each one with you and then kind of see if you can find a connection or how that applies to a wideout. Does that work for you? No problem. All right. Principle number one, and these are in Italian. Da Vinci, so Da Vinci, 15th century artist, inventor, military engineer, musician, scientist, and he was this incredible athlete. So amazing, amazing individual, uh, one of the most impactful men in history. And principle one, number one in his genius was curiosita, was an insatiable, curious approach to life and an unrelenting quest for continuous learning. And as a wideout, why is it important to consistently be looking for ways to improve and get better? Well, I tell, I tell guys, you got to be a fanatical technician, right? So you ever think that because the definition of a fanatic is a person who has an uncanny an uncanny interest and an unusual enthusiasm about one thing you know fanatic comes from the word fan comes from the word fanatic if you ever think about a fan like you're in Oakland the, the, the fans of the, the fans in a black hole well, they've done several stories on those guys like the, the most dressed up guy is like a school like a vice principal at an elementary school <laughs> or something you know you know, like those, 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 a fan fanatic doesn't care. He, he has an, un, a, that person has an uncanny interest in one thing. So you got to be a fanatic. You got to be a fanatic about wide up play. You got to be a fanatic. And, and when I say fanatic, you can't care what other people think about your interest in being a, and being the best wide out you can be. Cause that's what, that's what stops guys. Right. You know, at, at one point, you know, they might, they might, they might not be the most popular thing in their peer group or the most popular thing. Uh, 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 around people that, that they're around and so they let that dictate their dedication or they, they let that dictate their work ethic but when you're a fanatic about something you don't care what people think I mean these, these, I always tell guys like think about somebody you know that's into something wherever maybe they, you know there's guys in, that are in the computers there's guys that are in the fishing guys that are in the you know uh, skateboarding or whatever those guys don't care what you think when, when they get ready to go do that thing they just go they miss whatever they miss whatever is cool that's, that everyone else thinks is cool, they miss it and go do that thing. They don't care when guys are into something. If you want to be the best wideout you can be, you got to be a fanatic about it. You got to be a fanatic about it, and you can't care. You got to you got to have that uncanny, unique interest in that one thing. And so you got to be a fanatical technician. And the technician, the definition of a technician is a person who has a who has a, who has a particular skill, who's an expert or seeking to be an expert. And one thing, technician is a person who's seeking to be an expert in one thing. And so if you're a fanatic, if you're a fanatic about being a wideout, so a fanatical technician, 
is what you have to be. So that kind of goes in, in line with what you're saying. And that, that's what you got to wake up thinking about being every day in terms of just wide out play. That's what you got to wake up thinking about being every day. And if you do that, you, you'll, you'll trim the fat off any reason why you won't accomplish that. Now, you still got to do it. You still got to be good enough. You still got to get the tutelage. You still got to get everything else that comes along with that. But, but your personal investment will be as full as it can be. That's so good. And then I love your, your take on – so some of the guys on, on Casamont, you know, I'm, I really try and get them to, you know – get all in on, on what we're trying to do here as a program. And then for a number of them, I get pushback on, well, you know, I, I can't, I have other stuff in my life. You know, I have, a, I have you know, I, I got to help my mom out or, you know, I got to do this. And then do you feel as a coach, it's, it's my responsibility. It's our responsibility to, to, to wh- where is that line in terms of, get them to become that fanatic tech uh, technician and then just getting them to understand that maybe this is not something that I want to do. Like how, what would you, what would you say if, if, if you approach a high school player like that and he's like, Oh, well, you know, I can't do that. I got, I got to help my mom out and, you know, and I still have other stuff in, in my life. What, what would your response be to, to him? Uh, I, and let's just say this guy's 16 years old, has the body type and is a, a very talented wideout. It's basically just like anything else that you got to deal with with that kid. You got to make it, you know, coaching, coaching is a, is a judgment profession, right? Like you, you have to make, you have to make, as a coach, you have to make countless judgments on certain situations, certain scenarios, circumstances, events that come up. You got to make a judgment on it and how to deal with it. And at that point, you got to make a judgment on, on that kid saying that, you know, based on your knowledge of where he is as a young man, what exactly he, he says he has to do, you know, what, what, you know, what is your knowledge as a mother and what is your relationship with that kid? You know, you got to make a judgment on that right then and moving forward. But at this, but, but ultimately you got to, re- you, what I do, I remind him of what he's saying that he wants. You know, what, 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 what I do a lot of, I make them say the words. You know, I make them say the word. I make them say the word. Like I make them tell me. I make them tell me what they want. I make them tell me. I mean, what, what do you want? Well, what do you want to get done? And how do you think that's going to happen? I, I make them say it because when, 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 when you make them say it, you, you, you kind of snap them out of it because what they're doing, they're, they're having a mature, they're having a much immature moment at that at that at that point, and you kind of make them snap it because they're, they're immature. But see, but see, I, I don't even, I don't even let people say immature to me. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't think there's such word as, I don't, I don't think immaturity applies to athletes because when, 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 when you tell, when you say a kid is immature to me, like, you know, he, well, Dub, he's only a freshman. He's only this or that. Well, like how old do you have to be to care about something? Mm. You know, there is no age. There is no age to care about. Like a, a seven year old boy cares about stuff. So there is no, there is no, there is no, I hate, I don't say immature. I don't think you can be immature, to be honest. Like, you know, you got a freshman kid. This guy's 14 years old, 19 years old, freshman in college. Like, is he too young to care about what he's supposed to do? I mean, he's not too young to care. So you you, you make him understand, like, this is what you said you want. So I'm like, you don't care. 
If you care, you'll do it. If you don't, you won't. If you don't, then you won't. And, and I'll deal with you as a person who don't care. But if you if you do care, this is what is required. Got to mean something to you because if something means something to you, and you have the resources and the ability to do it, you'll do it a hundred percent of the time. It won't be a time that you don't. If it means enough to you, it won't be one time. It won't be ninety nine out of hundred. If it means enough to you, you'll do it a hundred out of hundred times. Every time you'll do it, if it means enough to you. If it don't mean enough to you, you, you won't. So you, so if it means enough to that kid. Then he he won't he he'll 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 tell his mom can we do it tomorrow he'll 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 spend the night at his friend's house so she don't have to take him to school the next day he'll ask you for a ride he'll he'll borrow ten dollars for the for the Uber he'll do whatever it takes to get to practice so he he don't have to do that with his mom or whatever whatever the case may be he'll pay his sister to babysit the little brother or borrow ten dollars from his friend to pay the sister so she babysits so he can go to practice whatever it takes and as a coach. At that point, you have to do that too. You you may have to think of the plan for him. Well, 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 well Johnny, why don't you get? Why don't you have your sister babysit for you? For you, mm. you know, why don't you have your sister watch the little brother for you? I don't know, Coach. You know, she don't got a ride. Well, well, can you know? Well, can this guy take her? Can you drop her off? Can you Uber? Can she use? Can she use your bike? Can you ride her on your bike to your house and ride back to practice? I mean, how much does it mean to you? Now, if you say, well, well, it don't mean that much, well, then it don't mean that much then. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to deal with you like a person who, who, who it don't mean enough to. Help them get the, figure out the different pathways. All right. But, but like I said, Go ultimately, ahead. you just got to stay on them. Yeah. You know, it, it, you just, you just fail. You, you just can't get frustrated until it gets to that point. And, and it rarely gets to that point. Second principle of Da Vinci's genius, Dimenstrione. A commitment to test knowledge through experience, persistence, and a willingness to learn from mistakes. How is a wideout? Why is a wideout? Is it important to test new routes, test new skills, and then be willing to to fail as you learn those new skills, and then and then learn from your mistakes? It's, it's all it's all a process, you know. The- the, the goal, the destination that you're trying to get to as a player, is a it's a it's a, a yearly process, a you know monthly process, a seasonal process, a daily process, a period by period through practice process, and so you understand that it's, that it's a process, and so you're going about each day within that knowing that that's part of the process. So you automatically know that there's going to be some mistakes, but you don't mind it. What, what you want to make sure that you are, your approach is always the same. So the mistakes are minimal. Now, when the mistakes are made, you're critical on yourself. You have no excuses. So you can, so you, uh, you address them as a mistake and then you get coached up to fix them. So you go in every day knowing that if, if a mistake is made, you're pushing yourself to not make a mistake, but knowing that if a mistake is made, that you're ready to correct it, accept it and correct it immediately. And then what do you mean when you say that your approach is the same? Like I said, it's a lifestyle. You know, when you, when you go to work, when you go to practice, you, you, your mind is a certain way. I mean, if you well, see, cause the, the difference is rules and lifestyle are different. You know, when you have rules, you have to memorize the rules. You may not believe in the rules. You're memorizing them and you feel required to abide by the rules. When it's a lifestyle, you don't even think you naturally, you, those decisions you make naturally because you believe in, you believe in those decisions, that, that group of decisions you believe in because that's the way you live, that's the way your mind thinks. That's what's in your heart. 
you know. And so once once you accepted a lifestyle, then your approach on everything you do is the, is the same way. So good. Uh, principle number three, sensazione, the continual refinement of the senses, especially sight, as the means to clarify experience. And as a wide-out coach, what do you do? I mean, vision just seems like it's so important for that position. Is this something that a wide-out needs to be constantly working on? And, and what do you what do you teach and coach to to improve that that sensory skill? Uh, like I said, like we like we talked about earlier in terms of catching the ball, everything is everything is everything is based off what you see. You got to use your eyes to catch. You got to use your eyes to identify defenses. You got to use your eyes to uh, recognize the leverage and the intentions of the of the defenses back individually. And so everything, everything, if you're gathering information with your eyes, you never are just kind of, and 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 you know this, you're, you're never kind of going through a situation where you're not paying attention to everything around you, all your surroundings in terms of. Of, of your assignment or what you're trying to get done for that particular moment. Maybe it's a drill, maybe it's an actual play and practice in the game, but you, you're never not paying attention to everything that all your surroundings. So you can get as much information as you can to be successful you know, at that particular point. And then if we have any wideouts listening, I just want to recommend that you, you get your, your vision checked. So I, I uh, read Chris Carter's book, a couple nights ago in preparation for this interview and he talked about Jake Reed and I think you were at Tulane sometime wasn't Jake Reed from uh he would he didn't go to Tulane but he was a he was a south guy somewhere in there but uh Chris Carter talks about how you know this great athlete he came to the Vikings and uh you know he was doing okay and then one day he wasn't at practice, and Carter was like, where did he go? And I guess he went to get his vision checked, and Chris Carter was like, well, how can you be a wide receiver in the NFL and, and you know not have a really good vision? But I guess Jake Reed needed to have his vision improved, and then once he did, he started you know becoming a, a really, really strong, solid uh, NFL receiver. So very important. <laughs> well, no, I, I, and, and you make a heck of a point because – I coached a guy named Kendrick Starling at San Jose State, who, who eventually went on to play for the Houston Texans, and he had a, an eyesight condition coming to San Jose State, uh, where he had like uh, I don't want I don't I don't know the medical I don't remember the exact medical term, but it was a in a sense he had like weak a weakness in, in his pupils for light, like sunlight, you know the sunlight irritated his pu- his his pupils or or whatever it may, it may be and it, and and it, it, you know it, it kind of distracted him he couldn't see see things clearly because of that and so we we didn't know that I don't even think he knew it was that of his thought I just think he thought maybe and that's the way he saw but I don't think he knew that that it was something that can be detected from an eye checkup and and we didn't even know that it existed at all because he still caught the ball pretty good enough to get recruited, you know. <laughs> and so, but he would, but he would drop balls out of the blue, you know. And, and it was and and and, the, and it was the kind of drops where it's like it was it's not even close. So, I I, I joked with him one day because his nickname was Smiley. I said, Smiley, you need to go to Lens Crafters, bro, and get your eyes checked. So, 
long story short, we ended up getting his eyes checked just kind of out of the blue. And, and then we found out he had that, that, that situation going on. Yeah. And then did it help his, did it help his game? No doubt about it. He ended up getting surgery and then he went, he, you know, the rest was history. He started going crazy and he ended up, like I said, he ended up playing for Houston Texans. <laughs> da Vinci principle number four, sfumato, which in Italian means going up in smoke. <laughs> A willingness to embrace ambiguity, paradox, and uncertainty. And when I think of this in terms of wideouts, I think of how, like, you don't know how often you're going to get the ball thrown to you a game per quarterback. And how is you, how can you as a wideout embrace that uncertainty of, you know, still, still going hard every route and still, still doing your process and still doing that lifestyle, lifestyle whether or not you're getting 20 balls thrown to you a game or two balls. One of the things I think is lacking, not necessarily lacking, but it's my opinion that separates coaches, I would say, is the amount of responsibility they, that they think they have on the overall impact, the impact on the kid and the kid's overall, uh, you know, the kid's overall development in whatever area that, that, that you know, you're trying to develop them in. Or, or any corrections you're trying to make, the, the, the coach's impact on on that opposed to just letting the kid figure it out. And I think I think that what you just said falls under that falls under that label, that title, because you know this, these, are, these are things that you're explaining to him, and and these are things you're explaining that you've explained to him. And he understands that going in, so he, you know it doesn't it doesn't catch him off guard. He anticipates a game or a quarter where he's not going to get the where he may not get the ball. But but if he's on the field, there's a job that he has to do in those plays where he's not getting the ball. That's just as important as getting the ball because the whole thing falls under his the definition of his job description. So he's taking pride in it all because, like I said, it's a lifestyle. So you, you take pride in whatever you're doing out there. You don't you don't want to be you don't. You pride yourself on not being the guy who's who's running slow on the backside route. Like you don't want to look, you don't want to look that way because that's not part of the lifestyle. That's not what you believe in. You don't believe in that. You don't believe in taking plays off on the backside. You don't believe in not blocking uh, for the running back. You don't believe in in uh, you know not taking the rules seriously in terms of like you may have a route where you're clearing out for the inside for the inside slot. You don't believe in not taking that route seriously. So these are things that the coach has prepared you for. This, these are this, this mental approach the coach has prepared you for this. So when you go out there and that happens, I mean, you're not thrown off. If, 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 if the game goes in that direction or you're involved in those kind of plays or whatever the case may be, you're not thrown off mentally because you prepared for this. You you embracing this. You you understand that this is part of this is part of the lifestyle. So this is this is this is no different than anything else that may happen. And then I forgot the. The young gentleman's name, but uh, wide receiver you recruited to Nebraska. He he was from New Orleans. He I think he's going into his senior year now. He roomed with your son and Dan. What what was his name? Dan, Dan Morgan. Yeah, Dan Morgan. And then uh, what he what I looked at an article on him when I was looking looking um, some research on you and how he he was looking to for ways to differentiate himself as a high school receiver. And one of the ways that he found that he could really differentiate himself was as a blocker. 
All right, principle number five. Arte Ciencia, the development of the balance between science and art, logic and imagination, whole brain thinking. So I would love your take on this. When I, when I think of this one, I think of where do you see the balances between a wide receiver and them being a, a wide out and them being completely engaged on the mission and on the team and then at the same time being, you know, the, being able to have that personality and be able to have that, that style that's kind of what's kind of been the next, next step in the evolution of the wideout over the last 10, 15 years. You know, you look at like Chad Johnson or, you know, all, all, all those guys like that in terms of that personality. Where do you see that fit in terms of, of, of being a wideout in the lifestyle? I tell, I tell people that, you know, the wideout, wideout is, a, you know, there's a culture within a culture. So the, the head coach is trying to establish a culture for the whole team. Which is which is perfect. We all should be, you know, buying into that. But then at wide out, I, I I establish a culture within the culture, and so there, there's a wide out culture that we abide by. That 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 includes includes you being being having some individualism and taking pride in your personal style. But it all falls within within the culture of the wideout and wideouts all falls within the culture of the team. So you don't have a problem. You won't ever run into a problem of, of looking like you're not buying in or, or, or at, you're trying to, you're trying to separate yourself from the team because it's all within the same scope of the lifestyle and, and of you being a wideout in general. And so, you know, as a coach, I allow those guys to be individuals, but it's all got, it's all got to be within the, within the framework of what the team's trying to get done. You know, you know, like I, I don't, I don't make guys uh, take their hats off in, in the meeting with me. Uh, I don't, I, I don't make guys call me coach. They call me Dub. Um, I, I don't, I don't care where guys sit in the room unless I do care. Like it might be a point where I'm like, you know, I need, a, I want you this particular person to sit, you know, right here for whatever reason. But I let guys be themselves until it becomes until until they until they prove that they can't handle it. You know. Abuse leads to restriction. So until you abuse the freedom, until you until you abuse it, I, I let guys do what they feel. And they know the limit because they know the limit of the culture that we're trying to, that, we, that we're developing, the lifestyle that we bought into as a wide out anyway. And that, and that culture and that logic and that lifestyle falls underneath the team in the first place. And the Da Vinci Principle... Number six, corporalita, the cultivation of grace, dexterity, fitness, and poise. And when I think about this, I think about grace and poise under pressure. And immediately what comes to mind is Santonio Holmes making that touchdown catch in the Super Bowl seven, eight years ago for Pittsburgh against Arizona, where, you know, game was on the line. He made the catch. He had to get his feet down. And then what do you think the most important thing is for a wideout to be able to succeed under pressure? What, what, what is the skill that they need to cultivate and they need, they need to be aware of to be able to, to have poise when the game is on the line? I think, like I said, I think, I think it's the way that they, that they approach, that they approach the game in general. And I, and I think it's, and I think it has to do with the fact that 
they identify that particular moment as a clutch moment. You know, uh, at third third down, when 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 you come out of that huddle and it's third down, like you said, you're talking to yourself. You you, you hear the play, you know you know the, the potential and the possibilities and the options of the play. You come out of that huddle, you're talking to yourself. Whatever you have left of of, of that you haven't used on focus. You're talking to yourself right there. It means something to you. Understand this is a this is a chance for you to, to make a personal impact, a team, uh, you, uh, to make a get the impact in the game as a whole for a team. Has, this is a chance for you to have a personal impact. This is a chance for you to to personally, athletically, you know, go to another level, of maybe of your career, of your development. You identify this moment as a clutch moment, opposed to just. Kind of thinking about it as just another down or just another time, you know. You, you actually identify this as like, hey, this is this is my shot to impact this game or or, or impact my career. Love it. And the last one is Kinesione, a recognition and appreciation for the connectedness of all things and phenomena, systems thinking. And I think you've already really explained that where you know being a being a wide receiver is one thing, but being a wide out is something different in terms of, you know, 24-7, 365, it's a lifestyle, it's, it's a dedication to your craft. No doubt about it, because like you said, it's kind of like, I, I, I compare it, not, not uh, entirely, but I compare it to like the, uh, being a monk in a monastery. You know, you, you're learning about Christ, but you're learning about it. You're learning about Christ through a lifestyle. You know, you're not just you're not just reading the Bible. When you when, when those guys that go off to those monasteries, they're learning about Christ, but they're learning through a certain way that they're living as a lifestyle. And so that's the way they approach everything. And 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 and, and that's what I think wideout is. Uh, anybody I've ever played with or ever coached. We all think about it that way. You know, I got guys that I've coached and played with who say wideouts to each other. They don't even know each other, but they know, but they know what each of them, what what each of mind frame is in their philosophy and their personal, you know, their personal belief about wideout play as it pertains to your personal life. So they they already know that they're that they're the same. So good. So I have some rapid fire questions here. Coach Dub, that I want to end with, so you can answer in, in one word or one sentence. Go ahead. And you got, and you got to have savage. You got to be a savage professional about the whole thing, anyway. And what does savage professionalism mean? Savage professionalism is more, like I said, it's more belief, more belief in a mindset than it is just a definition or a thing. Savage professionalism is. You know, always, always, always say, always be professional when professionalism is involved. And so, being a savage professional is kind of like I got shirts where it's a gorilla in a tuxedo. Savage professionals, are, are, you, you want to have a gorilla in a tuxedo mindset, meaning that if, if you and I, if you and I went to a restaurant or a dance or something, and we walked in, and guy at the door taking our money or taking our ticket was a, a real gorilla, but he was in a tuxedo. And he and he kinda like the planet of the apes and he and he knew English and he said, Oh hi hi guys, so where's your ticket? And it's a gorilla. He's a gorilla, a real gorilla, and he has on a tuxedo. He says, Hey, hey, where's your ticket? 
And, and so we'll give them our tickets or our, our money. We'll kind of walk by like, gosh, that, was that a gorilla? And a <laughs> and so we were, you know, we're like, gosh, all right. Well, he was kind of nice. So we, we wouldn't be afraid or, or intimidated because he, he was nice to us. But if we got in there and a couple of guys got into a little disagreement and start pushing around, the first thing that we would think about is we look at the door and we think that gorilla was coming in there to, to, to break that up. Because now it's time for him to be a gorilla. You know, when he was when he was when he collected our tickets or our money at the door, he was being professional. Now for him to come in and break up this little disagreement, now he's got to be a gorilla. And so that's that's basically the definition of, of a savage professional. And so you've always got to be one or the other, whenever the circum whatever circumstances leads you either way. Love it. All right, I have some rapid fire questions that we're going to end here, Coach Jobs. So answer in a one word or one sentence, okay? All right. What's better, an average quarterback with a great wide receiver or a great quarterback with an average wide receiver? An average, an average quarterback with a great wide receiver is better. An average quarterback, an average quarterback will still get you the ball. Will give, still give you a chance. Who is the most interesting person you have ever met in your life? Mom counts. Yeah, it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be my mom. What personal limits are you currently stretching? Just continually to, to, to try to get better at, at, at my craft and continue to establish a philosophy. Of, uh, my philosophy as a wideout coach, wideout theories, and continues to upgrade, upgrade what I'm doing. And what is the biggest life lesson you have learned in the last six months? Above all things. And then last question. This does not have to be a sh uh, short answer form, but what is one piece of wisdom you would give to an 18-year-old wideout who comes from absolutely nothing yet has high ambitions to leave a major impact on the world? Understand that when you, when you commit to that, that commitment, commitment is not always convenient. So it's when you commit to a goal like that, you have to understand it. There's going to be some inconvenience with it. So embrace the inconvenience. Don't be surprised by the inconvenience. Don't be uh, frustrated or, or irritated by the inconvenience. Being committed to that, to that type of goal, there's going to be some inconvenience. And just embrace that inconvenience and know that it's coming. So good. And for anybody that wants to reach out to you, Mr. Williams, Coach Williams, where is the are you, best way for – people to find you on social media and uh, any other places where they can connect with you. Uh, on Twitter, it's just wide outs and Instagram. I think it's coach underscore dub. I, I, I don't even remember if that is the name of it, but uh, on Instagram, I, I think it's coach underscore D-U-B-B and Twitter is just at wide outs. And I'll put both of those links in the, in the notes section as well, both very high value uh, feeds and posts on there. And uh, Coach Dub, I appreciate your time, Con, sir. I look forward to uh, having you on again, and I look forward to uh, next time you come out to Northern California and get together and uh, hang out a little bit. No problem, no problem, appreciate it.
What's up, guys? Hope you got as much wisdom out of that podcast as I did. I had no idea how that connection would go between connecting the seven principles of Leonardo da Vinci's genius to wide receiver play, but Coach Dub took it in stride, and I feel like it went pretty well. So, I highly recommend you follow him on social media, and with all the amazing stuff that he does, great coach, great teacher, great man, and if you at all found this episode educational or entertaining, hopefully both, please take a second, give us a five-star review on iTunes, because that gets more ears on the podcast, more resources I can bring to the student athletes at Castlemont High School. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Talk to you soon.